Hello, welcome to Don't Call Me Exotic. I'm O-N-E-L. I'm a DJ, radio presenter, and promoter. This is the podcast where I invite people in the creative field to come talk to me about diversity, culture, personal experiences of racism, both in life and in their careers. I'd like to welcome my next guests, two friends who I met last year through the collective ESCA Sisters, a sisterhood of people of East and Southeast Asian descent who identify as women, trans, gender non-conforming, non-binary, and any other genderqueer identity, a WhatsApp group turned activism platform, and a group of people who have been the support system throughout 2021 that I didn't know I needed, Nicole and Rahel. Hi guys. Hey Annie. <laughs> Hi, how are you guys? Pretty good. How are you doing, honey? Good. Could you introduce yourselves quickly? Sure. I'm Nicole. Um, I met you through ESCA Sisters, but I'm an embroidery artist uh, based in London. I'm Rahel. I met you also through ESCA Sisters. <laughs> what a blessing. Um, and I run Spoons, which is my vegan Indonesian food business. I really wanted to have an ESEA Sisters episode of this podcast because joining ESEA Sisters at the beginning of this year has actually changed my life. And like you guys both said, that's how we met. How did you guys first join the ESEA Sisters group? Um, I joined through a friend who sent me the link and um, they just DM me about this group, but it wasn't called ESEA Sisters at the time. It was just like a group of East and Southeast Asian women um, in a WhatsApp. Yeah. And yeah, that's how I joined. Same here. It was also through a friend when it was just in the beginning as a WhatsApp group. And I think I recall the WhatsApp group title just being like, ah. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> it was just a bunch of, yeah, it was just kind of us in the height of, you know, yeah. East and Southeast Asian hate during the pandemic and yeah. just us kind of venting our frustrations or not even frustrations that happened due to the pandemic, but a lot of bottled up aggression. <laughs> mm-hmm. And we were all just like, Mrah! just going um, at it. In it the beginning. was cathartic. It yeah. was amazing. I really needed that. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I think I joined when there was maybe like 20, mm, yeah, 20 yeah, to yeah, 30 yeah. Pe- mm-hmm. um, people in the WhatsApp group, because then it grew to about 60. Mm-hmm. And then we created just I mean when, when we say we I didn't do shit no I didn't do shit about the discord <laughs> like, either. it happened though yeah but someone um created a discord and that grew to about five six hundred people within yeah, madness I think like three or four weeks or like yeah I don't yeah, even yeah. remember a few weeks I feel like it just grew exponentially just yeah. really quickly um I was quite shocked yeah I mean I didn't even know that were there were that many southeast east and southeast asian god yeah. like I don't think I've I've not been friends with so many East and Southeast Asian people in general yeah. in London until I met you guys. Yeah. And suddenly now I'm only hanging out with you Because <laughs> <Yeah. guys. laughs> all we do is just go eat and it's amazing. Oh my, that's literally what I tell everyone. It's been the biggest blessing because now I'm eating so well. Because so well. we all just love food so much. That's really um, surprising to me because you, own, uh, you run a supper club. I would yeah. expect that you would have been doing this and this is kind of your influence, but... Is it not? Um, my influence on what? Just us all us all eating eat. food. <laughs> I guess maybe <laughs> I had a part to play. <laughs> Just like yeah, indoctrinating, going out for meals yeah. all the time. <laughs> yeah. Um. No, but honestly, I mean, obviously, I got to know lots of people through spoons and stuff. But I think there was like an exponential spike in yeah. the amount of a- Asian women, specifically, that started attending yeah. my supper club since ESA Sisters, which has honestly been the best vibe. Yeah. Best 
consumers so ever. Because <laughs> you know what? If you get their approval, that's like the best. The that's best all I need. That's the right? only. That's the only validation I need. Exactly. All the aunties, the ones that matter, <laughs> for real. But you guys knew each other before. Before yeah, we did. Yeah. We met a long time ago. We met at Central St. Martin's, but none of us went there. No. Um, <laughs> Why were you there? <laughs> we were just hanging just around. Um, you were modeling for my friend, and I was helping her embroider some bits, and I was working on your dress, and that's how we met. Yeah, we met backstage. Mm-hmm. Um, we didn't really speak for about one, two years, two actually, years, yeah. um, until Nicole invited me to her birthday. And I showed up alone <laughs> and became friends with her it and great. stole all her friends. Yeah. <laughs> I still remember it was like a summer picnic. It was it really, was really hot that day. Yeah, and like, really hot. you just came out of the blue. I didn't expect you to come. <laughs> I was just like, oh, I'm going to be here. No, I'm um, just I inviting remember. a bunch of people. Yeah, exactly. And um, yeah, it was nice. No, it was and great. And we've been friends ever since. Yeah. What has joining ESEA Sisters meant for both of you? I've created so many valuable friendships like friendships I had never had before like I mentioned just now just like the abundance of East and Southeast Asian people in my life which you know means so much because these are people with you know very similar visions and ideologies that I have same experiences people I can vent about you know microaggressions to very very serious aggressions Mm. as well and we just get it and we have the same interests in food, which is pivotal. <laughs> um, and it's honestly been life-changing. Yeah. I, yeah. Yeah, for me, I just love that we go out to eat so regularly. <laughs> exactly. And to hang out. And it's just really nice to have people who have shared experiences, but also kind of different ones as well. Yeah. Um, you get people who've grown up here, grown up in their, like, motherland as well. And it's just really nice to have that community feel. Mm. I don't think we've come together before so it's quite refreshing and it's just nice to you know just nice to be there yeah um really enjoy all the conversations that we have and even venting out i think that's been quite nice just a safe space to do that um it's much it's really needed actually this year and i don't think it hit me until like even the whatsapp group was created Mm -hmm. just being able to talk about all of that yeah. so before the what before you guys joined the whatsapp group was this something that you were seeking because it, it forms correct me if i'm wrong but it formed like end of march right yeah mm. yeah i believe so um i don't think it was you know i didn't feel like it was a gap in my life that i was actively seeking mm. but when that gap got filled i was like god where have all these women been all my life like my past like eight nine years living in london would have been so much more you know exciting and accommodating and yeah even the times that i didn't feel i was like necessarily isolated i was like whoa if i had these people in my life at that point it could have gone you know so differently no i feel Mm. the same way it's almost a bittersweet thing because you're just like i'm so happy that yeah it exists and I have a support system yeah. Um, where, you know, even though I've only known you guys for a few months and- It's mad, you know, it feels like five years. I know, yeah, but like really there's, there's certain ways that we have connected in, yeah. in a way that I can't connect or haven't connected with people who don't share the same background- Absolutely. Um, that I've known for years. Mm, totally, yeah. And it's just like, fuck, I could have had this my whole life. Like this is yeah. what it is exactly. for people normally. Yeah which has been like a big realization for me, which has been like bittersweet. Yeah. But 
Yeah. No. It's interesting because obviously here it's for myself, at least my personal experience, it's been amazing getting to see you guys because we're here experiencing, you know, this shared thing between, you know, um, East and Southeast Asian diaspora. Mm -hmm. But um, I actually, I grew up in Singapore and obviously that being an Asian country, I was surrounded by, you know, I grew up with Asians. Yeah. But that in itself is actually a very different experience just because of how segregated the country is. It's a multiracial country, but like super segregated. And um, basically, long story short is um, majority Chinese country, everyone else massively discriminated. And I, that was my experience there super different to what I'm experiencing right now. Mm, so, yeah. yeah. I don't know. Yeah. Really different. But it's... then I got to share about this experience with you guys as well. And it's it's been amazing just sharing that. Yeah. I think because the group's so big, there's going to be one person who's at least yeah. kind of had a similar path. Like, yeah. you know, me, Korean, and then growing up in Canada, there's like, I'm sure there's someone exactly. in the group. That's... Exactly. So I guess what's important also, and I think it's one of the things that we're trying to highlight is like, yes, we've come as one. It's like East and Southeast Asians, but it doesn't mean that we all have one lived experience. Yeah. We share lots, but also it's so diverse. So, so diverse. So there isn't one def some an umbrella definition to you know to encompass all of us um it's the unity in the diversity of experiences that has been really meaningful to me yeah I totally agree i think it just shows we're not a monolith and i think that's very very clear with all our discussed experiences that although we are you know like you say east and southeast asian everyone has like a very different experiences but there are things that even tie it together sometimes but the point is that we're not we're not we just one thing exactly so i think that's been the positive side of being part of this group and i mean i guess that's also why we're labeled that way right to make a distinction between being you know east and southeast asian as opposed to just asians mm -hmm. you know yeah, and definitely. I think that was it was it was probably one of the first times where I've seen it get highlighted, you know, as mm. like a term. Yeah. Um, because always when I'm like filling up forums and stuff, I'm just <laughs> any other, other Asian. Asian. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's so rude. Those fucking I know. Forms. I was so shook when I moved here. Yeah. Because then because they have Chinese. Yeah. Exactly. And then Vietnamese yeah. they have as well. Do they? But I then, think like so. I'm always any other Asian. Yeah, same here. <laughs> like, bitch, don't even ask me. Like, if you don't even... That pisses me off. I think someone else said this on the podcast, but mm -hmm. I'm just gonna pretend it's me. <laughs> um, I think that's what stereotypes do. They always, like, kind of combine us as one. Yeah. And, yeah, it's been amazing to see every, like people in all walks of life, like, varied ages, and just everyone's going through the same thing, which yeah. is crazy um i know how difficult for me personally like the atlanta shootings were so it's great to know that something so horrible led to something positive in the end but yeah i always say like changed my life like joining the group everyone's just so supportive of each other as well like it's such an amazing support network i've yeah. never felt kind of this sense of sisterhood before or just you know the kind of like the feeling of being able to depend on such a large body of people yeah. before. Um, it's nice amazing. that we can kind of like dip in and out. As totally, well, totally. No I commitment. Think, yeah. I think when the WhatsApp group was first starting to get going, I think because we were in the height of lockdown yeah. and we were all like physically isolated and stuff, yeah. everyone was just like, ah, like, yeah. like <laughs> consistently, you know, yeah, and it was, yeah. it was a lot. And I think yeah. when it grew to a certain amount, 
I found it quite overwhelming, especially yeah. in the Discord where we have about oh, yeah. 800 channels. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's mad. Um, which is important because it's nice to have, you know, uh, organization in topics. Yeah, totally. yeah no. <laughs> but um, yeah, it got to a point where it was like quite overwhelming. And then when st- stuff started opening up again, I was like, I don't know how I'm going to manage yeah this but no. it's been it's been really great it's nice that it's still there and you know you can visit it at your own convenience <laughs> has your relationship with your heritage um changed since you've joined the group i wouldn't necessarily say that it has changed but it's definitely given me the opportunity to share it a lot more um with people who actually get it yeah. you know even from I don't know, even in the most basic form. Okay, the, I don't know why this is the first thing that came to my mind, mm-hmm. but dining with people, uh, dining with people, <laughs> and then eating xiao long bao and oh, yeah. not having to explain how to eat it. <laughs> yeah, that's... You know, like, you know, you have to pick it up and like bite it a little bit and then suck the soup out. No, people just got it. Amazing. Yeah. <laughs> not having to explain, don't eat the banana leaf kind of yeah. thing. <laughs> I agree. Yeah, it's the same for me. I think it's just helped... I guess I just talk more about it and like amplify it a lot more and proudly do that. Not just like with friends and like anybody, but like even on social media, like sharing a lot of important issues that kind of I'm just passionate about. And this has definitely helped in like talking about my heritage is so important to me now. I think as both Hong Kong and Malaysian identities, you know, come together, that's just my upbringing. That's my background. And yeah just talk more about it now yeah because i was always talking about race and being you know open about when people are shit and like being really vocal about it because at the same time i always felt quite alone so i always felt like Mm -hmm. i had to be like i almost had to be the one Mm -hmm. to be loud and to be the one that's like no you can't say that or this isn't right because i always felt like if I didn't do it, there was no one else. Absolutely, to do it. yeah. It always felt like, like you said, and like you, I was always also vocal about, you know, the things that I believe in. Um, one of which would be, you know, things to do with my heritage and, you know, racial discrimination, etc. But I always almost felt like I was shouting into an echo chamber, mm. you know, and having to like fight for these mm. things myself it was quite. It can get pretty isolating, I guess. Um, but now, you know, you feel like you've got a whole network backing you up, a whole network voicing and vocalizing the issues that you believe in Mm. and it's so empowering yeah because even if we don't come from the same place like you're from canada you're from indonesia i'm from hong kong like we all kind of have that similar i don't know attitude towards standing up for what we believe in and i think that's really encouraging when you have a group of people that kind of are on the same wavelength and um, yeah, that's just been really, really encouraging and really boosting people's confidence. And I think it's great. I think when I think back now to me pre ESE uh, sisters, I realized I was so angry. Like mm-hmm. I was just so mad. And I didn't even realize like I had all this like internalized anger that I didn't even realize until now where I feel like such a big weight has been lifted. Um, and I didn't even know what it was. Like, it's actually crazy. It's that's been, that's amazing. Like I think it's definitely been a lot of development for me my whole life as well. Like I explained earlier, you know, growing up in a place like Singapore where I got discriminated against. I think moving to London for the first time in 2013, there was a lot of internalized racism there. So I don't think it hit me until a f- 
probably a few years later that, you know, no, all these feelings are wrong. You shouldn't be ashamed of who you mm. are. You shouldn't try to distance yourself away from that. And it kind of hit me that, no, I, I love where I come from. I love how I look like. Um, and then there started, you know, yeah. the anger started hitting me. Yeah. So it was like avoidance and then realization. Yeah. And then there was anger. The three steps. Exactly. <laughs> the, the three steps of um, overcoming internalized racism. Um and then, yeah, sometime after that, I met all you guys. And yeah. that anger really got, you know, a lot of... Because I think you just realize, like, all the, you know... I don't know. I don't want to speak on your behalf. But, you know, the self-hatred that I built yeah. up. Mm-hmm. The internalized racism mm-hmm. that I had against my own self. I, I started getting angry realizing that that's been embedded into exactly. me. And it was just, like, I was so angry that I felt such sadness and, you know hatred towards myself for so many years that mm-hmm. i didn't even fucking ask for it do you know what i mean Absolutely. And i was just trying to mm-hmm. get by like live our lives and stuff and i just realized that the external cultural factors growing up in a western society just like completely fucked me up absolutely and it's just like having to dissect all of that now and try to break that down but it is i have moments because it's like a daily struggle i do find but um the the more and more I work at it, I'm just like I feel a bit happier and happier. Mm. Um, Rahel, like when you were talking about the in, internalized racism, like how did you go from that to creating a supper club celebrating Indonesian food? Um, I guess there was internalized racism when I first moved here and being so new to a country and just trying to like fit in, you know. Yeah. Um, but then after a while, I guess I realized, oh my God, I miss home. Mm. I miss my heritage. I miss my people. Mm. And just really wanting to recreate that gap over here in London. And that's where I started picking up cooking a lot. And, you know, I started making like dinner for everyone a lot, cooking up Indonesian food. And this is actually where how it came about and that I used to just like post lots of food <laughs> stories of like, you know, what I'm cooking up and like invite loads of friends and stuff. And yeah. Nicole comes along. Aww. She's like, why don't you start a supper club? Oh my God, she, Nicole is your idea. She's my she ideas was person. so much food. <laughs> I was just like... <laughs> How is this woman, how does she have time to like It is crazy. Like a stack of, I think it was bakwan that I saw even and like all these amazing dishes. And I was like, why don't you start a supper club? I know. And at this point, honestly, and at this point I was like, what the the fuck is a supper club, man? And she she was the one who introduced me to the concept of a supper club. And I was still kind of like nervous at this point just because, you know, I don't have any experience in hospitality or food or whatever. And, but then I kind of got so, I learned along Mm. the way and I got, it gone, I got so much encouragement from so many of my friends Mm. and it was just supposed to start up just being that, you know, like having friends over. (laughs) Of course your friends are going to be like, yeah, cook for us. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. yeah, Make all the food. Except now it's ticketed. Exactly. (laughs) Exactly. So when was this? When did you this start This was like it? end of 2019. Mm-hmm. And oh my God. Yeah, end of 2019. And I had my first supper club and I think 30 people showed up and I was like, I didn't know I had this many friends. <laughs> but, oh my God. So yeah. when we kind of all started speaking, that was kind of the beginning. A couple months after, yeah. Um, 
Wow, that's and basically thing. during the pandemic, obviously, I couldn't continue doing those separate clubs, which is why I converted into doing home deliveries. Yeah. And that was kind of at the point where I started speaking to you guys. <laughs> yeah. I still haven't gone to one of your separate clubs yet. Girl. I know, but they sell <laughs> out. So they literally good. sell out in like 20 I know, it's seconds. Like, it's like a supreme drop. Like, it's not. In the, she just drops in the... It's more intense than that. It's more intense. You like drop in the group chat like, yeah, it's going on sale. I lit like I look at my phone and I you had sent that like five minutes before and then you're like sold out and I'm like <laughs> so Face Magazine actually wrote that you were the most exciting Indonesian summer club. <laughs> I think it's very cute. That's very sweet. Um, I love that that exists because at the point where I did the interview, I just, you know, answered a bunch of questions and stuff. And towards the end, I was like, so um, who else is going to be featured in this article? And they were like, it's just you, babe. No, I was like, <laughs> oh, my God. Oh, that's so great. <laughs> no, it's cute. Um, do we want to talk about the Pandan Raspberry Blondies? Pandan Raspberry Blondies, my baby, my firstborn. No, it wasn't my firstborn. It's one of my <laughs> proudest creations, um, one of my favorite cakes to make, and the best-selling spoons cake. It's honestly a thing of dreams. It's, you know, made out of coconut condensed milk infused with pandan, topped with, you know, tangy raspberries, and all together, you've just got magic. <laughs> that copy. Wow. <laughs> I know, so... she just switched <laughs> I read that you said um, someone co- recently called your banana leaves aesthetic. Oh, so my So do you want to tell me about oh that? Oh, my God. So I was just catering this fashion party, right? <laughs> <laughs> and um, I'm just minding my own business, you know, um, lining up the plates, lining up the banana leaves. And this girl, and it was an open plan kind of bar slash kitchen situation. This girl just walks past and she notices the banana leaves and she looks to her friend and oh she's like, God. Oh my god, banana leaves? Aesthetic. Oh and my god. I was like, a, I was ready to unleash, but my partner was like, it's okay, keep it together, keep keep it keep it profesh, keep it profesh. It's okay. Oh and god. I was also, you know, time sensitive, got the gotta get the job yeah, done. You don't have time to I don't have time to get teach. mad about this <laughs> at that point. Yeah, exactly. Um, but God, you know, banana leaves, you know, my culture is not a prop to mm. you, you know. Um it's there for a reason. It's part of my heritage. It's part of the cuisine and culture. It's not just aesthetic, you know. Yeah. It's not tropical vibes, you yeah. know. Mm. It's there for a reason. Yeah. So, yeah, that really annoyed me. Has that stuff, like, other stuff like that happened to you before? So much. So much. Uh, which is why, I guess, I, I seek so much comfort in that a lot of my audience mm-hmm. are east and southeast asian people because yeah. you know y'all get it and there's <laughs> just like say that. yeah you wouldn't say the shit like that to me and there's less room for you know problematic comments like that but you know anything from like me bringing a pandan cake and you know pandan cake and all it's like green mm. like vibrant glory you know is so outstanding and some people just aren't used to that kind of like color and they make stanky faces at it or you know i serve like a tempeh dish and somebody's like what's tempeh and then i'd have to explain you know it's a fermented soy dish and mm. i know that doesn't sound super sexy but yeah. it's part of my heritage yeah. and then they make like stanky faces at that and yeah. you know just those little microaggressions it's just like just walk out the door if you mm. don't like what i'm presenting here 
I get that a lot with Korean food because oh like kimchi, which is exactly. the national dish, fermented, fermented, fermented stuff, right? cabbage. Mm-hmm. Exactly. So if people are like, "What is that?" I'm like, "It's fermented cabbage with like loads of garlic," and then Delicious. like you know, back in the day, they used to bury it so that it like ferments like a fridge, and they just like make faces or like, "Oh, that smells." Those and I'm faces. Like, you don't have to fucking eat it. Like, Literally, leave it's me so alone. It's so good for you, actually. It's really also, good for your nobody cup. made stanky faces at white people stomping on grape to make wine. <laughs> <laughs> so gross, actually. <laughs> You think about it, but I mean, it's great, right? So I don't understand why there can't be the same kind of like open-mindedness to, you know, cuisines from like marginalized cultures. Yeah. I just wanted to also highlight at the end of August over the bank holiday, you and Easter Margins put on an event to raise money. Oh my God. Um, Do you want to tell us a little bit about that? Because it's amazing what uh, you did. Yeah, no, that is probably one of the highlights of my year. Um, and shout out to Eastern Margins as well. Shout out to Eastern Margins. Um, basically, it was a fundraiser um, for LGBTQIA plus communities in Indonesia affected by COVID. And, you know, being of those communities in Indonesia, it's so tough because you don't get, not only do you not get support from the government, you're also demonized because, you know, Indonesia is a pretty religious country. So when deciding on a charity to support, I think that stood out most to me, especially being in a place like here in London, I felt like I was able to amplify that support. And Mm. like with currency conversion, people in Indonesia can live off 20 to 30 pounds a week. So the most menial thing that I can do here, converted back yeah. to rupiahs in Indonesia, is huge impact. And by the grace of God, we were <laughs> able to raise, I think it was 3,000 pounds. Amazing. Um, cooked for, God, I think it was 200 people, which I've <laughs> never thought I would be able to do. Yeah. Mad. Um it was amazing. Turnout was amazing. People were like spilling over to the next street and it was a beautiful day as well. Gorgeous. Mm. Large outdoor area. I thought I was going to be wiped out, but I had like honestly the best day ever. Yeah. Amazing. Oh, mm. congratulations on that. That's Thank you. Amazing. It's yeah, I would I think I'm going to make it like an annual thing cuz I honestly had the best time. Yeah. It's great. So Nicole Hi. <laughs> <laughs> you are an amazing embroidery artist. Oh, um Evening Standard. You they actually named you 25 under 25. In 2019? Yeah. <laughs> yes, they did. Yeah. How, how did you get <laughs> Yes, <laughs> and? Yes, they did. <laughs> yes, they did. Um, how did you get into embroidery? Um, so I learned from my grandma who um, taught me English smocking. And she actually learned it after, when she was really little, um, after the Japanese occupation mm. of Malaysia. Mm. So like during the time when the country was in its recovery stage, they would have a lot of like Australian and English women come and like teach different like textile skills. And basically she learned it from there and she just found it really cool. Um, she did it on all our like child garments. And so that was like my memory of, my first memory of Stitch with, is very like family orientated and yeah the connection to my grandma it's like super nostalgic so that's where I originally learned embroidery um but actually I wasn't really good at it so <laughs> it kind of evolved into more of a messy um freeing practice where I also was quite an angry person growing up so it was a place where I could really release like all my anger and wow. just kind of broaden the whole tradition of like hand embroidery because it is so white dominated and I really wanted to disrupt it with my art. You can kind of see through my style that it is very like 
brash and in your face. So that's how it evolved from the start to the finish. And it's very unique to you as well, your yeah. style of embroidery. I've never seen anything like it. It's gorgeous. Yeah, mm -hmm. I haven't seen anything like it. And mm -hmm. it's, I know this is a podcast, but we'll post the pictures. Is this a <laughs> self-embroidered number you were wearing yes, at the moment? Yes, this is gorgeous. the little DIY thing from my old commission. Um, I just love like DIY and the whole attitude of like yeah. do it yourself. It's been like, something that I've always loved growing up so yeah, yeah. that's amazing and like that's that's what you do as well Rahel like mm. you do your own DIY mm -hmm. very DIY yeah <laughs> had no idea what I was doing in the beginning <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but I think also like because we grow up with not seeing people of that look like us represented in like the normal in mm -hmm. um open quote what are they called? like open quotations that we kind of can do our own thing totally definitely yeah because like I'm not, I don't see anyone doing what I'm doing so fuck it Exactly. Yeah. I might as well do it. Exactly. Yeah, for sure. But Nicole, you said in another podcast, <laughs> um, you were you mentioned disrupting age-old perceptions, mm -hmm. um, and you said just existing is a way of breaking barriers through your work, free-handed brashness, loudness, colorfulness. So you really find your expression through embroidery. Yeah, I'm sorry. I like did not expect that for you to say that. Like Why? listening to another podcast. Oh well, uh, I didn't listen to the whole research. thing. But... <laughs> Women did um, her research. <laughs> yes, always. No, I really appreciate that. Has it always been like a way of self-expression for you? So it started off as that kind of project and then it kind of grew into a fucking sick career? Yeah, it definitely has <laughs> yeah. because um, <laughs> it was like, it's really interesting how it's kind of changed throughout my life. Um, so when I started, it was obviously learning a traditional craft, but then as it evolved and as I saw more, um, as I got influenced by like my interests in like fashion media and stuff like that, I think the collision of like imagery and hand embroidery just became a really lovely like mix of my personal self-expression, but also a way to release anger. Mm. Um, I think that it's really, just been a way a really healthy outlet mm. at the end of the day to like just channel all the bottled up frustrations I know we talked about a lot of bottled up frustrations that we all have but for me embroidery has been that like therapeutic way that although at uni or all the jobs I have had prior to this had nothing to do with embroidery it was just something on the side that I always loved to like just release all the issues and the feelings mm. that I couldn't express in words yeah. so it's been really integral in me growing and just also developing my style um and yeah being it being my freelance career today um so yeah that's you're that's killing it. it honey yeah you Thanks, are girl. just to show just, <laughs> Thanks, to, just for the listeners if they um just to let them know how much you're killing it you've worked with Puma Yes. Oatly, which is goddamn yeah. Oatly, have changed my <laughs> tea and coffee game forever. And you know what? They've actually gifted me a couple of times. So Oatly, if you're listening, I'd like some more, please. Um, you collaborated with Kira Good Goody. Yes. For, um, did she? She? Yes, she. Um, she's my friend, and okay. she's an amazing footwear designer based here. She's an independent designer, and we just made some artwork as part of her launch of like her genderless heels collection. Yeah, they looked amazing. So it's really sick. You should check out her work. New era. 
Yeah. Manchester United, yeah. Adidas, ASOS, Google, and you also made some um, personalized tees for Unknown Tea and NSG, and I was like, hey. Yes, yes, that was through um, Mosh, who runs Sons of the First Tribe, which is a streetwear brand based here, and um, he was working on um, a project with them for YouTube music, mm. so the collaboration was just so simple and so smooth going like the embroideries on the shirt were meant to express like peace and happiness during a time because it was filmed during mid lockdown mm. I think it was during a time where people were very isolated and so to be able to do that at such a tough time it's it's really great and I really love him and his brand and working with obviously <laughs> Unknown T and NSG is great <laughs> love the music um yeah you also started Femme Fan Fanzine. Zine. Yeah, it was a while ago. It was like a streetwear zine because I wrote my dissertation about how women were represented in imagery throughout streetwear brands. Mm. So that was kind of the kickstart of it. And I realized throughout my research, like historically, just like women's kind of brands um, were seen as an afterthought to like the yeah. main men's line. And I feel like streetwear is just very male dominated. Of so course. that's why I began it. And I've not touched, I've not gone back to it in a while, but it was my uni project. And I think what ties like my embroidery work with that is like the DIY approach mm. and the attitude. So I really, that's just what I've gravitated towards throughout. Yeah, no, the aesthetics really mm. blend together. So yeah, that's yeah. amazing. Because I worked with this brand, this new collective that started this year called In Motion Collective. And I did a project with them for Adidas so they draw on the arts, music, and lifestyle to champion women's movement. And the conversations I was having with um, the people that run it was that there was a drop-off point of young girls doing sports at around like age like 14, mm -hmm. like 13, 14, when we start our menstrual cycles and stuff. And so much of the time, because we're not like, we feel uncomfortable to, like also we're in pain. So the drop-off point of like quitting sports and everything like that is around that age which is such yeah, a shame definitely because that's when you start actually kind of growing and stuff as well yeah. like you start being like a young adult yeah no it really reminded me of that collective so I think you should carry on doing but there was a quote actually that you had posted about some with someone you interviewed and it said only four percent of printed sports coverage is dedicated to women's sport and mm -hmm. women up women up was created in hopes of changing that statistic and that was by Ella Ken Keneally yeah. Um, which is mad, 4%. Yeah. It's 50-50. Mm -hmm. like, exactly. Yeah. It's like, it's so ridiculous. But I think that just shows the statistic of how little coverage there mm -hmm. is, even throughout history. And just like, so I play football, right? And there's a lot more, um, it's great that there's a lot more women like getting involved in the game. But yet there's still, there's still like a, a missing kind of, bridge to kind of mm -hmm. level the game and I don't know how long it's going to take till it actually becomes equal but like yeah. there's definitely behind the scenes in football and also on the pitch there's definitely like something missing and something not an equal level yeah yeah I wonder why it's taking longer for that to not that I'm saying that women and men are equal in day-to-day -day life but why that's lagging so behind I mean like four mm. percent is ridiculous mm. and also you would think even if not on a human 
rights angle even just as a capitalist you want to make money off of half of the population i don't get it yeah like, i just don't get it yeah they say i think i don't know i don't know why but like they choose to like not watch women's football and to be fair it's not as easily broadcasted i feel whereas before i think just generally like men's football just in that context of sport that's like the primary like when you think of football you just think of like men but i think only now has it started to change yeah it's gonna take time to you know shift the focus from that patriarchy i guess definitely from like you know centuries and centuries of it being like male focused it's gonna take a lot of work moving on to patriarchy now (laughs) (laughs) i think only in 2019 did it start to change like when the women's world cup happened and more coverage and more actual big coverage and um money was more invested into Mm -hmm. that did it start did i start to see it change um but before that i wouldn't have even seen the game had it not been like because there was such a lack of coverage that statistic alone says it all um what do you guys have coming up for 2022 so I'm taking a little bit of a Christmas break from cooking. Right <laughs> I know you've been going public, ham, I mean. honestly. <laughs> um, but Defo got lots of supper clubs in the pipeline um, for earlier in the year. And lots of other things under wraps that I can't quite announce just yet. But yeah, lots of exciting things to come. Do you want to drop your social so people can... So that's... I mean, it's going to sell out anyway, so whatever. (laughs) It will. So you can find me at Eat With Spoons, and that's a double numerical zero. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Oh. um, (laughs) For me. Uh, What's coming up in 2022 is definitely more workshops. I... Have one secured at Tony B Hall, which will happen on February 5th. And I'm speaking with um, Poonam Duffer from Yes Mate, and we may be collaborating on one for Now Gallery again. Oh, my god. We did one earlier this year. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're just such a great space to, um, to have us and just really, really comfortable and healing. Um, I also am about to release some shirts that I've embroidered and worked with a creative agent a marketing agency called Tong on their rebrand um Rahel actually modeled them oh. Oh. and um all the proceeds from that will go to EVR ESCA which is the first dedicated first charity dedicated to um east and southeast asian people here in the UK um issues of hate crimes that spiked during the coronavirus mm. uh, lockdown and um, also advocating for representation and um, just issues of like how um, we're represented in the media, things like that, um, that even get raised in parliament and so on. So it's for a great cause and yeah, really excited to to release that soon. Do you want to drop your socials as well? Um, yeah, it's at That's So Nicole. So T H A T S E W N I C O L E. Get it. Like so, That's So Raven, but. Yeah, but so. But so. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much, you guys, for coming on the podcast. Such a pleasure. Thank you for having Let's us. Let's go Thank eat. Thank you so much. Time to eat. <laughs> yes, I'm hungry. <laughs> Thank you so much for listening and thank you to Rahel and Nicole from ESEA Sisters. I hope you enjoyed this bonus episode and I'll be back very soon with series two. So make sure you subscribe, follow and rate this show to keep posted on new episodes. You can also get in touch with me at don't call me exotic pod and at oneo on Instagram. 
Oh, and make sure you don't call people exotic. Bye.